is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Life sends us two things, successes to learn how to celebrate and challenges to introduce us to the things we need to learn. Each of us is born unique, talented, and amazing. It is our personal responsibility to discover, develop, and use what makes us who we are to find our fit and make our difference in work and life. When you are clear, confident, and resilient, you show up differently in work and life. Challenges are not so overwhelming, and opportunities become more available. Life changes, life improves. TheForteFactor.com In this episode, Jay Forte talks about self-awareness, success, purpose, authenticity, spirituality, and more. Jay Forte is a certified professional coach, author, and educator specializing in maximizing performance and potential. Jay created the Forte Factor to provide talent, strength-based, and mindfulness tools to enable anyone to discover, develop, and live what is best in them. Jay's unique mindfulness approach to coaching empowers his clients to achieve exceptional personal and professional results. To read Jay's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Here is the interview with Jay Forte. In your own words, who is Jay Forte? Well, um, there's who I am and what I do. And I think they kind of work hand in hand. So uh, what I do is I am a certified professional and executive coach where I help people 
discover what's amazing about themselves and go do it. And I think that's my biggest um, understanding of who I am, that, you know, when we think about what our purpose in life is, what we're here to do, you know, job, capital J, you know, what we're life is here for us. I think my role in that is to help people realize that they come equipped with some really amazing things and that they should understand what they are and use them. And I share that because I spent most of my life not doing that. And I realized late in life that I had been busy living somebody else's life and making sure everybody around me was okay with the me instead of me being okay with me. And that wasn't about being selfish. It was about being unaware and too timid to own my own greatness. And that has really helped me identify that we each have a purpose and we can't do it if we play small. So the awareness of that helped me do this for myself. And then it was so important for me that it it turned into what I do for life. Right. That is great. Um, you just mentioned play small. What does it mean to play small in life? Yeah. I and mean, then as a coach, My understanding of that is when you let the world dictate how to be in it, instead of being confident and courageous to look at the world, look at yourself and say, where in today's world needs what I do and love best? And how could I, when I do it, do it in a way that delivers to the world and to myself something big and something remarkable? It doesn't have to be, and the big and remarkable isn't about whether anybody notices. You know, it could be the meaningful glance you share with somebody that completely changes their day and you don't get credit for it, but you know it was enough because part of your reason for being here is to share some big understanding of how to be kind. It might be in the way you parent. It might be in the way that you're a manager or an employer. Um, it might be that you are just really creative in that when it comes time to finding something or using that great creativity, you look to see that whatever you invent or create, that it helps somebody else be better. I think in my head, that's kind of what, you know, not playing small is, that we identify for ourselves who we are and that we embrace it as ours and use it because there is something in today's world that needs us to be that. And if we don't own it, if we don't see it, we don't understand it, we don't use it, then I think we shortchange ourselves and I think we shortchange our world. And I think that's what it means to play small. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you also mentioned uh, confidence. So I would like to understand better the difference between confidence and self-importance. They are probably at odds with each other, though sometimes I think you can see them in the same person. Confidence is an awareness that you are and have amazing abilities and self-importance is that your abilities are better than somebody else's. And I think confidence is understanding that yours are remarkable for you as someone else's is remarkable for them and that there's space for you to be remarkable and space for me to be remarkable. And I don't have to be more than you. And I don't have to think that I have to be more than you have more, be more, own more, do more. I just from a confidence standpoint, understand that I have enough of what I need to go in. Now I'm back to the things, and this, to me, at least in my head, this is how it all comes together. It's up to me to see how I'm to use what it is that I came equipped with. And the confidence is when I take the time to see it. And the humility, which I think is the opposite of the, the self-importance, 
the humility is to see that everybody else has something to be confident about as well. And tying it back to, I think, the first question you asked me, I think one of my understandings of my role in life is to help people develop confidence by understanding what are their unique abilities and where in today's world could they use them to make a difference. Right. Listening to you made me think about fear. Do you think that um, self-importance, it's somehow connected to fear? Um, I do for some people. Um, I think we can be fearful and still not hide behind, you know, arrogance or ego, which I think sometimes happens. I think fear comes from a lack of understanding that we are enough. And then I think that kind of speaks to some of your message that we don't need to always compare ourselves to anybody other than our capacity or our capabilities or our potential. I think when we do that, we see that we don't need to be self-important because we see that we are enough and our value doesn't come from, you know, um, how do we stack up against somebody else, but rather how do we stack up against what we're capable of doing? Mm. How do you define, if possible, being enough? And maybe the best way to look at that is by comparing it about what not being enough is. And um, being enough in my head, and and I uh, grew up in a big family, um, and though we had some really good guidance about being enough, and being enough meant who you are as you are is what you're supposed to be. You don't need to change for someone else. You don't need to be someone else. And I'll share, I mean, how the lesson came to me was, you know, I grew up as the gay kid in a big Italian family, that it was not okay to be that. So the process of being enough was a big struggle for me because in most of the views that I had growing up, I was not enough. There was something wrong with me. And so I'm you know, I'm 60, 61 now. So I grew up at a time when the world was little less, a whole lot less comfortable with that process. And certainly so is my Catholic Italian family. So I think being enough was something I had to come up with in my own language when I kept getting, you know, information from the rest of the world that for some reason I wasn't. And that's what I meant. Maybe the terminology of being enough comes from too aware of of not being enough, that to fit in, you have to look like this, live here, believe this, drive this. When, you know, I have finally had to learn on my own and my whole life changed in a big way when I embraced that and stopped hiding because then all of the other gifts that came along with that, the ones that were also hidden, you know, when you hide any part of you, you hide all of you. When you live life in hiding, then you keep reminding yourself you're not enough. Otherwise, you wouldn't be hiding. So if you can realize that, you know, God doesn't make mistakes, this is who you are and whatever your belief system about it, that's yours. This is the one I use in order to make sure I show up to the bigness of life. I don't throw my identity in front of anybody or at anybody, but I do own it myself. To be enough is something I have to talk to myself about and tell the world to every now and then sit down and be quiet because I'm not here to make sure you think I'm fine. I'm here to be the the best version of me, whatever that looks like, in however I came. And the challenge has been, and I think the reason why I do the work that I do now, is that my road to get to a place where I was okay with me was so uphill, so difficult, and so challenging that I get what it feels like when some part of the world doesn't agree with who you are, but it's something you had no control over. 
So to me, it's helped put these um, thoughts in order. And it's funny, I pinch myself every now and then saying how amazing I get to, how, how remarkable I get to have an amazing job. And the reason I do is I had to spend most of my life suffering to get to this place. But now that I'm here, I get that it wasn't wasted breath and it wasn't wasted suffering. It was just work I had to do to finally own my own life and you know, and be truly, in your expression, be fit for joy. I wasn't fit for joy. I was fit for angst. <laughs> yeah, I was growing up reminded that it was more wrong than right. And I just didn't want to be part of that anymore. And sometimes, you know, our issues or our challenges are right in front of us if we choose to own them and come out better on the other side of them. And some people run away from them uh, for fear of them, when in fact, what's lurking underneath it is the treasure if we could have the nerve and the courage to go for the adventure and see what it says to us. Right. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, not often my guests make me feel emotional, but you did now. I had one guest only that he talked about love in a way that I just cried. I couldn't stop crying. You made me cry now too. That's interesting. I'm just reflecting why? Maybe because I share a lot of the things that you talked about by not accepting myself for so many years. Not like you also said, yeah, I now understand that everything um, was just that the whole story had to happen. So I would learn what I, I know today. But then I think I cry because of the wasted joy. I couldn't be happy before. I couldn't smile, I couldn't really, and that was like too many years holding back joy and happiness because of the delusions of not accepting myself. Yeah. Um, you mentioned God. Who is God to you? Um, big question. Re a really good one, too. Thank you for that. The weird thing about growing up as a Catholic gay kid and, and I don't mean to keep bringing up the gay thing other than it was formulative in me determining some things that I had to deal with that were at odds with the way I was raised. And so the God that we were raised with was a punitive, you know, fearful, compliance driven God that um, kept me you know, small for a whole lot of time for fear of, you know, the HOV lane to hell by, you know, doing or being something that somebody else's version of my life said I should be. And I think the biggest moment of courage came in me challenging my own definition of God for a loving spiritual being that understood that, you know, the person who shows up here with all the warts and the blemishes and the humanity of it was just fine. And that that God didn't make a mistake when the unique abilities or my, my unique personality came out as the gay kid in this family. I have five siblings. They're not. I am. Why was that? I don't know. Um, I chose not to see it as a punitive God, but one who was, you know, kind of your best friend that just had some guidance for you to say, you know, I don't want you to go through life missing on it. So I gave you this version of life because I think it will help you be bigger. But I'm sorry that until, you know, until you get there, it might be a little bit tough, but I don't think it's tougher than you are. Um, I think I had to craft for me what it was that made sense for who I was in a way that I could not, would not be angry with it for its limitations and its difficulty that it created for me growing up. 
but rather it was because it wasn't mature enough for where I was and what I needed. And now I'm thrilled with that definition. In fact, I call God to me nowadays as a coach, I call God my higher coach. And, and that's my journaling. And when I journal in the morning, I have a conversation with my higher coach. Good morning, higher coach. Good morning, Jay. What's going on? And that's how we, it's meant to be personal. And it took away all of the statues and the icons and all the ritual. And some people love that. And, and great, if it brings you to a better and more, a less judgmental and higher loving place, go for it. But for some reason, it didn't do that for me. So I had to reinvent it in a way that helped amplify the message that I thought was behind it in the first place, which was accept people for who they are, help them be amazing and go love everybody. If any part of this doesn't do that, then I think we all should challenge it saying "Hmm, something about this doesn't smell right. And what do I want to do instead? And could I be courageous enough to go swimming against the stream? And I think my whole coming out process was that it, I had that to remind me that, at least for me, the definition that I was given of what faith and religion and God were, were not going to work for me. They, they weren't. And, but, but it was my job to fill in the hole and figure out what does, you can't leave the hole. What, what will you fill in in here instead that will give you some Um, support and some courage and some direction and some engagement that there's not a void here, but it's also not one that's going to make that self-talk of yours be negative, negative, negative. Sorry, long answer. No, I like that a lot. Um, I would like to hear more about courage. If you can elaborate, what is courage to you? And how is being courageous different from being strong? Or it's courage the same as being fearless? I think in my head, being courageous is stepping into doing what you need to do, even if you're afraid to do it. And I think the reason why we all have the potential for being courageous um, is that we and I said this before, we come equipped with a lot of really good things. None of us are gypped. You know, we all have amazing things that help us be courageous in the situations that life sends to us. But our challenge has been we're pretty self-unaware. We don't we didn't get an owner's manual. We didn't know what we came up with. Uh, I mean, what, what we came equipped with. So it's part of our job on a daily basis to kind of watch who we are and see what it is that works for us and what doesn't work for us. And So I think being courageous is a byproduct of being self-aware. It helps us know when being fearful is healthy, that I'm in a place that doesn't make sense for who I am or what I believe. Then, And the fear isn't so much that I'm afraid of it, but it's going to be a different set of behaviors that will come from this. I will now choose not to push against this because I know where my guardrails are and this is outside of my guardrails, so don't. Courage is how do I define for me what my guardrails are and live them even if the people around me don't like where I put my guardrails. That's So being strong, I don't always equate, they don't necessarily correlate in my head, courageous and strong. Strong can sometimes be uh, determined and direct and assertive and that's, so I think you can be wonderfully empathetic, supportive and caring and be courageous and you can do it by being loving and kind and take the back seat in something so that someone else can rise. And I think that's being courageous. 
that you can allow others to soar sometimes when it's not your turn. So I don't, I say, I always think of, you know, a strong meaning like the old definition of leader where they're out in front and they're pulling everybody forward or they're charging them on, um, keeping them going. And I think sometimes the courageous person is the quiet person that knows enough in this moment to let somebody else have some silence or just the look or a touch or a smile. And, but they're aware enough to know how to own that and be proud of doing it and not look for any fanfare because of it. Mm. I like that a lot too. You speak of love and you just mentioned the word loving. What is love to you? Oh, that's a big one. Um, let's see. I think love to me comes in lots of different ways. And let's see if I can get to it by doing this. I think love is the ability to, maybe it's this, I think love is the ability to deliver to the world the thing that you're here to do. That um, could you love the world, even this noisy, mean, aggravating, irritating, frustrating world that we have in that same moment, could you still care deeply enough to give your best so that it's better. So maybe that's love. And I'm a romantic, absolutely, but I don't really call that love. Love is the deep. Oh, oh how about this? Love is, sorry, it just, <laughs> I'm a verbal processor. It comes out when it comes out. You know, one of the things we talk about in workplaces is frosting and cake, meaning the way that it looks on the outside, that's the frosting. But in order to have a really good company, it looks really good. And, and does things really well, it's because they have a really good cake. In other words, they have foundation. So I'm wondering if love is the cake, you know, the, that it's, the, it's the, the hard work you do, it's the structure, it's the focus that allows all of the great things about life to sit on top and be the frosting. I haven't ever put it that way before. I don't even know if it makes sense, but, um, but I think cake and frosting and I think love the hard stuff is love, the structure, the hard work, the showing up each moment. That's the stuff that allows, you know, the fun part of life to happen because you know you can rely on this piece. It's there and it's always there. Right. Mm, always there. I'm writing um, a piece that could become something, not sure what, about um, love and what it's coming for me um, through my body, my mind at this moment, my understanding is that fear, it's an illusion and love, it's all there is really. Because it seems like the mind, the body, everything about us, objective and subjective, it desires to be at that place, to be loved or to be love. So I kind of, I'm, I'm reflecting and understanding life, this, the experience of life this way. I know you are talking about love in a more um, objective way, that the things we do and how we do it that can become love. But I don't think love can be made or created since it has been there before everything, before the mind, before creation itself. Yeah, no, I like that. No, I like that. And thank you. Um, you know, like you said earlier, you know, part of the conversation that these are about is um, kind of opening up the envelope and seeing what other things come out when two people talk with open hearts about things. And um, 
I really like that. And, and I mean, I understand brain biology well enough to understand why the worry and the fear is a big part of how we show up to each day. And I can also understand that there are times when it seems louder than the love, which surprises me when the more fundamental emotion is actually that to do it and to, to, to do it for others and to have it done for ourselves, to love and to be loved. We know we need it the most. And if that's the case, so why is it so hard to do this? And I wonder if it's because we feel for some reason in today's world that it's limited. And therefore, if we give it, then we'll be without or that it has to be an even exchange. And so if I hold that door for the person and they don't say thank you, why am I upset by that? And so what is this tit for tat version of love? Um, either you freely and open, openly give it without any strings or you don't. And if you don't, then what is your motivation behind it? And thank you for that, that perspective. I think I need to spend some time with that too. Um, I, I, like, I like that and I like challenging sometimes where I have landed, but I also realize I'm walking down a hallway and there are other doors here and I haven't opened that door yet. And I wonder what it will give me when I open it. And that's kind of where I think some of our conversation already today has helped me remember, keep walking down that hallway and don't be afraid to open a door. <laughs> yeah, you're doing the same for me at, at some level. What is the difference between self-awareness and self-knowledge? Are they really the same? I think self-knowledge creates the ability to be self-aware, meaning the more I know about myself, then I can be aware about who I am and how I am. Um, and I think there's one more, at least this is what we as coaches always do, and that's self-management, that I can't identify the triggers and challenges that sometimes go on if I don't first see that I have it, and I can't do that if I don't really know myself. So... I think self-knowledge precedes self-awareness and self-awareness is a driver for self-management, which is the key in emotional intelligence, the ability to know yourself and manage yourself with others so you can amplify your connection and relationship with others. So the step that I think even precedes that, and this is work that we do with organizations as well as CEOs and families, is awareness in general leads to self-awareness, which leads to self-management. How do we get people to pay attention on purpose in the first place? And then when you pay attention, you can look out or you can look in. So the awareness of the outside world, the external side is awareness. The awareness of the inside world, who are you? What are you thinking about? What do you feel? What are your abilities? What, you know, what is your mental state? You know, uh, and all of that then becomes your self-awareness. So awareness in general and then self-awareness. And the ability to be successful in the workplace, as we talk about anyway, is the ability to know yourself and manage that self so you can bring that to the external world and be calm and wise and loving and kind as the day-to-day -day things happen. But you can't do that if you don't know any of this stuff is going on in the internal side of you. True. Do you know how awareness is different from consciousness? I think awareness is the ability to show up in the moment, to be present to what is. Consciousness, and this is just in my head, consciousness is the ability to make sense of what it is. So awareness to me is I gather the details. Consciousness is I start making sense of the details. And I know I don't share this next definition with everybody, but it really works great for me, is mindfulness is the ability to take the awareness of what I saw plus the consciousness of being in that moment 
and using that information to affect the change or make my next moment more successful. But I can't do any of that if I'm not first aware and then conscious of me in this space. So the internal and external me, if I'm not aware of it and conscious of it, then I won't gather the information of this moment to first appreciate it, to be fully involved in it, and secondly, to use its benefit to create an outcome in the next moment that came from a fully present awareness in this moment. Right. Hmm. I heard that we can be aware that we are conscious, but not conscious that we are aware. Does it make sense to you? Let me see. We can be aware that we're conscious, but not conscious conscious that we're aware. Yeah. The thing, the sense that I get from that is that if consciousness is a level above awareness, then we can use awareness to climb. But once we've climbed, we don't have to look back down. Mm, Yeah, it might be that, Jay. Yes, that's interesting. So once we are there, we are aware, then that this is it. Yeah, once we're aware, and so once we're conscious, we don't have to go back to being aware. We're already, we pulled it in and we've risen to a higher level. I don't have to go back to being aware to develop something that I already have. You were the first person to ever ask me that. So I'm, I will have to play with my own definition of that. But that's what my first thought is. Right. Okay. Um, that could get a little uh, complex, right? Um, so uh, you talk a lot about success. And um, my question is basic. What is success to you? Success to me versus for me, right? Yes. Success, what the word success means to me is being fully engaged in the life that I have and fully aware of what I'm here to do. The metric isn't what did I earn How many people did I help? How many clients do I have? That's not my metric. And sometimes my family gets upset with me because I'm not about the billing. I'm about the impact. And they say, well, you know, the more billing you have, the more impact you can make. Well, maybe. So success for me is, um, am I here doing what I'm to do? And do I deliver it in a way that changes the world for at least the piece of the world that I touch? Right. Hmm. What about if you do all that? but you don't have the reward, financial reward, would that be okay too? Um, <laughs> yes, because I think a, part, a big part of my career, it's been that way. They do not have to correlate. It is an outside definition of success that forces its way into our own internal one that says this is the metric of success. And in our own guidance, when we coach people, both professionals as well as personally, that the one thing we are very clear of is we want them to define what success is for them. Success may be, you know, a really dynamic relationship with a teenager. Um, it might be the achievement of a budget or a forecast that would help everybody amplify their compensation. I'm not sure wherever it is, but we get to have conversations about success up to and including could the success be a change of heart? Could the success be self-acceptance? Could the success be courage in the face of situations that would normally make you back down, but now you don't? I don't know that there's success on the one big success in life other than am I here living the life I think I'm supposed to live? I think that one plays on a macro level, 
I think life is made up of small successes that we create for ourselves. If we are clear, mind, uh, aware, and mindful that today's success is for the things that I'm involved in, that I will be fully present, deliver my impact in the best way that I can, and be grateful about any of the lessons that make me be better tomorrow than I was today. So, I mean, it could be those kinds of things that, you know, depending on the person, it could be, you know, um, I now have, uh, uh, you know, a BMW 7 Series. Um, if, if that's truly something that motivates you, some people who are completely moved by that, not even in a critical way, that it isn't that they're, you know, all obsessed about money, but for some reason that car carries this meaning or value or that vacation is exactly what they wanted um, and it may look like it's about money, but it may be something bigger. So that's when we coach people. That's what we look for because we ask them all the time to stretch from because we know that most people play small because they've been trained to play small because they get slapped when they play big. So we are all cowering like the dog that gets a beating every now and then that we know that's a horrible thing for a dog and it's a horrible thing for us. But it still happens. We still do it. We don't even know when we do it. And we say it the sharp things that we say to people comes across the same way as a slap. In that moment, the person who received it just shortened the the or made their potential next step smaller than it was going to be when they got whacked. The ability to help people see when that happens and develop the courage to not pull back when those things happen because they're in a world that does it to them all the time. You know, it's a self-unmanaged manager who tells you, you know, that you have really lousy work and now you're afraid to propose anything, all the big ideas that you had. Now you go back to your desk and you feel really beaten up. You see, it's in all of those situations. But if we can grab hold of ourselves, not drop down to this fight or flight victim or anger status that we sometimes could be, and then can look at that and say, okay, so what did this just teach me? And how true of anything that just got said, is it? Because maybe somebody just said it, but none of it really mattered. But why is it playing in my head? So so the whole idea of creating a success, I'm sorry, I'm kind of running in circles with this one, might be creating these small little movements to allow ourselves to boldly move forward when we would normally not move forward. Maybe that's success. Mm, yeah. I like that too. Um, Talk to me about the quote that you mentioned by Frederick Bittner. Bittner, yeah. Bittner. Um, he said, your purpose in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. So two questions for you. What is your, your greatest joy and what do you think is the world's greatest need? <laughs> First, I love that quote. And uh, one of the books that I had written, the book called The Greatness Zone, and I hadn't seen that quote until after I'd written the book. And the book is very much that. Um, basically, how well do you know yourself? How well do you know your world? And how do you put the two pieces together? But he said it better, I think, which was, what is your greatest joy? In other words, when you are showing up to life in its greatest way, and could you scan your world to say where in today's world needs someone who does what I do when I'm in my point of joy. Because if I brought that to the world, then the impact I would have would be really remarkable, could be remarkable. And I think that's, that's what he talks about. His, your vocation in life or your purpose or your job in life is for you to figure out what your joy is and where in today's world could you do it. So you got a chance to do it all the time. You know, at first moment, it sounds a little bit 
philosophical, but it's really meant to be practical. I've done lots more of his, I've read more of his stuff. That one line is beautiful. And I know based on the other things that he writes that he wasn't intending it for to sit back and just, you know, philosophize about it. He was issuing it as an order. You know, this is your purpose. So this is your, your work is to figure out where you are and what gives you joy and to bring that joy to the world all the time. So you get the benefit from it and the world benefits from the fact that you're delivering something that brings you joy. So for me, joy for me in this is the ability to help other people self-discover. And that's so important to me from my whole life where I did not self-discover because I was uh, intimidated or restricted from doing it. So I think for me, that's more important than maybe other people. I, I don't know. And at least that's how it worked out for me. And so my joy is watching people's faces when they notice that they came equipped with some really remarkable things. And my the world's greatest need is that, I think anyway, is that most people don't have a clue who they are. And they are showing up tiny to these big and amazing lives that they are too afraid to try because they're unaware of the abilities they came equipped with that could give them all the things that they want. So my joy is creating a process. I've kind of a process brain. So we write programs and teach people and coach people so that they get to do this. And every time it happens, it's like, pinch me. It's like, this is the most amazing job. And you have to understand too, I mean, I was a, a CPA and a CFO before. You know, that was all in my other, you know, trying to be what the world needed me to be identity. And now I get to be this, you know, mindful coach who helps people discover who they are and CEOs run amazing companies because they finally have acknowledged who they are. They lead with their strengths and they use those strengths to make an organization that delivers something big to the world. I think the Beekner quote is a big one for me. And it was not only guidance for me, but it's part of, I think, how I see, how I show up to the world and what the expectation I have of myself to be in this world. Wow. Um, has that joy changed? Do you think that this joy in you might change again? Wow, really good question. Um, it certainly was not my joy before, though I was always a teacher at Mindset, I think, and was always the one all through every school I've ever been in, the one that always helped others understand things. So when I look back, I see that that was probably there anyway. Um, but I think it was hidden for fear that it was going to, you know, allow someone to figure me out. So I always kept it under wraps. I don't know what's coming next. I love the image that you can't see tomorrow's view of the world until you stand in tomorrow. From that moment, then the world opens up and what's there will tell me where to go tomorrow. Today, I get to stand at a place where this work and what I'm doing now feels like it's the thing I should do. Um, but you know, as you drive along a road, the view from this moment is different than the one that's 10 minutes further up the road. And I don't know what that view looks like. All I can remind myself and maybe share with you is for me to be present enough and to be courageous and clear enough about who I am and what I think is important. That when I look at what's going on in today's world, I can then choose wisely about what my next step is, whatever that might be. Right. Hmm. That's a great answer. Really great. 
You talk about wasted emotions as well. So why is worry the most wasted emotion in your opinion? Um, I think it is because worry is about the past and the future, um, particularly in the future, actually. Um, I don't know that it's going to happen. And in this moment, I have ruined this moment by worrying about something that may or may not happen because I've forgotten that I'm capable enough to handle whatever the life, whatever life sends me. So before I fill in the blanks and create a story about something that may never happen, I don't want to ruin this moment with fear of the next moment. And I want to be courageous or clear enough that I can handle what life will send me. Uh, and that life is not personal. Life is neutral. I add the value and the meaning. So if that's the case, then why am I worried about something that may not happen? Secondly, why would I subject this moment and miss this moment for fear of something that may or may not happen in the next moment? And that is hard. That is very hard. Um, I can totally get myself all psyched out. Um, I travel a lot. And every now and then I find myself in these situations where I'm really unable. To, I'm just concerned. I had to, you know, I I grew up around Boston, but I don't get into Logan Airport very often. I had to return a car, get gas, get there early for a flight and all the traffic. And on the ride in, I could feel myself totally worried that I was going to miss my flight. And I had to actually stop myself, take some deep breaths and talk myself through. You speak the language, you have a GPS, you know where you have for gas. You know, if you're late, there are other planes. I'm just not understanding why any of this would create worry for you. Even though I know about this stuff, man, it still gets me. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but I, like, I like having thought enough about what this stuff looks like so that I can talk myself off the bridge when it starts to come up. Hey, you know, Jay, I see that you seem awfully worried about that. What? Let's just write down. What are you worried about? Let me just tear it apart and see if I can get at the place where it's happening. But I, I couldn't do it if I weren't aware. Uh, meaning if I wasn't aware and ultimately self-aware, wow, that's what it feels like when I worry. Okay, I'm feeling that. Why is that coming? Where's it coming from? What do I want to do with it? How am I going to fix this? Any of that kind of stuff. If I'm not aware that I'm doing it, I will keep going and going because my habit, my ex-wife, she wrings her hand. She worries about everything. She doesn't even know she does it. She doesn't even know she does it. So if I can take a picture of you seeing it, could you realize that this moment is now no fun because you're so worried about what's coming next. What I don't want for you is to miss this moment at the expense of the next moment. That may never happen like that. Just trust. Then that's now I'm back to Beekner's quote. Just trust that if you live in this moment of joy, you will figure out how to be in the next moment and you will make it a moment of joy, even if it's uncomfortable. There'll be something in it that will be worth celebrating, but not if you're hand-wringing. Right, and the lesson that... We, we will learn, right? We should be open to that. Everything's teaching us all the time. That's the big place that says there's something important here. The easy stuff we just blow right by. It's the hard stuff that has important things for, for us to learn. Right. So we are almost at the end of our conversation. I have still have two questions about the subjects um, that related to what you do. And one of which is the about the value of setbacks. And the other one's about the bigger picture, being able to see the bigger picture. I think you have, you already talked about it. Um, you're talking about 
the big picture right now. Uh, I love what you said about beginning with the end in mind. That's wonderful. Can you talk to me briefly about the value of setbacks and the bigger picture? Yeah, um, and the value of setbacks is really just what we were talking about there. You know, when life sends you its irritations, aggravations, and frustrations, you can take it to heart and be pissed off by it, or you could realize that it or the lack of success is really just information. It's neutral. It's just information. So if you didn't get it right, I bet if you were to spend a moment with it, you could determine why it didn't go right so the next time it does. So a setback and a failure shouldn't be something we run from, but when it happens, we should be open to investigating it to say, so I wonder what's going on with that. And the phrase we like to use is, so when we look at anything, could we ask the question, so what worked and what didn't work? Not what's right or wrong, not what's good or bad, just did it give us what we want? Yes, we should do more of it. If it didn't, okay, so what do we want to try instead? And now we, if we can take some of the emotion out of it, we can use life's lessons to bet better rather than to go around frowning and cursing and hating everything that didn't go our way, when in fact all that happened was it didn't go your way. So, so try something else. And I think that helps us in the bigger picture. And, and maybe that's part of this belief that I have now, that life is pretty neutral. It isn't personal. Nobody's out to get you that life isn't, doesn't have you in the crosshairs trying to make it difficult for you. It just happens. And how we create a really great life, and this is the bigger picture, is that we show up each to each moment and ask the question, so what is this telling me and how much do I love it? And if I really love it, let me stay in this for a minute and really love it. And if I don't really love it, then can I ask the question, I wonder why I don't love it? Is it me? Is it them? If it's me, what story am I telling myself about this? If it's them, is there something I can change? If not, then I go back to me. What story do I want to tell myself about what's going on? I can't change this. If I could, I would. I can't, so let me just let it be and not, not get angry, upset, feel like a victim, run away from it. Let me just be with it, understanding that sometimes life just is fun. It's a carnival ride. And other times, it's a slug through the mud. And today, I'm for some reason, I'm in the mud. But if I can look at it that way, instead of, why does this always happen to me? You know, life is so unfair. It shouldn't be like this. I spend all my energy being upset instead of using my energy to figure out what to do next. And since energy is finite, and if I choose to use it to feel bad, to worry, and not see the bigger picture, then I don't have it available to me to go ahead and figure out how do I get myself out of this mess. Right. So true. Um, do you have time for um, two more questions? Maybe three? Gladly. Yes, thank, sure. Thank you. Um, if you knew you would die soon, Would you change anything about your life or do anything differently? In the last couple of months, I have made some big life changes, not with that particular mindset, but aware that I had allowed myself to do things I would never let my clients do, which is not boldly own what I really want. Loving in, in, in a kind way. It's not that I walk through life knocking people over. It's that I find that much of in much of my life from the timid background that I think is by nature, I'm a timid person and an introvert, but also having the world throw things at me, you know, pretty harshly my whole life. Um, I think I'm 
reluctant or reticent to ask for what I want and need. And I have finally, after all of these, finally 60 years must be my magic number, developed the courage to ask for what I needed and to go about and getting the things I need. So I think it's a healthy thing for us to ask, to remind ourselves that life is finite and that you don't get this moment back. So what are you doing on purpose in this moment? Make it the best it can be. But we realize that we live with and support other people, and sometimes it's not about us. So we do have to take the back seat. That's okay. But if you're always taking the back seat, then you find that that life that you want to have, you don't have. And then you have what I think to be the worst emotion ever, which is regret. That you can't get this moment back, so make the most of it. But choose what you do in it on purpose. Sometimes it's about you, sometimes it's about them. But whichever it is, that you did it because you meant it not because it's a habit and this is the way you show up to everything. Yeah. Do you believe in life after death? I don't know what I believe about that. I believe that, I don't know what it looks like, but I believe that there's something after. So you can see that I have to bump into my upbringing as a Catholic kid about you know purgatory and heaven and pearly gates and people floating on clouds. And none of that I believe in. Um, but I do believe that the spirit and the sense of oneness and um, unity of all things, um, I think it reunifies. I'm trying to think that one of the things that helped me with this is the Kabbalah story of Tikkun Olam. Have you ever heard this? No, no. Tikkun Olam is um, the story about the beginning of the world. And um, so all the value of life of the world, this is an old mystical story. And, and again, it just, it's helping me fill in some pieces that I'm not quite sure I know the answer to yet. And, and so if all of the good of the world was in this vessel, and for some reason, as the story goes, the, the vessel breaks, <clears throat> and the elements of light that were in that vessel get sent out to every event and every person through all of time. And it is the purpose of life for each of us to gather back, to find our light and to help other people find their light and all come back together. And when all that happens, then that's what the life after is. It's the, the unification of all of that light. Now, I like the story. I'm still not sure how it all plays out for me. Um, I know what it's not, at least for me. I don't know that I have a full answer on that, but I think it's that this concept of loving kindness is all that there is, and we return to it. And that's what that Tikkun Olam story is. The light means we all get back to the thing that matters most, which is we're here for each other. We really love each other, and that's all there is. Right. I love that. Um, I actually heard this story before. I just interviewed um, a Orthodox Jewish person. And oh, he, uh, yeah, yeah, he I'm talked sure. to me about yeah. it, right? About the Kabbalah. Right. Yeah, the Kabbalah. Yeah. And, um, and I, asked, I asked him the, the question about uh, what about if there's nothing? If, um, if, if there's nothing really after death, would you be okay with that? I asked him, I'm asking you too, would you be fine with being it, life being it? It's not up for me to say, you know what I mean? That um, they didn't check in with me when they built this. <laughs> so, so if this is the way it plays, this is the way it plays. But the reminder is whether there's a lot more after this or nothing after this, the only thing we should be thinking about is the this. And how do we pay attention to this? 
and not get all worried or twisted about the hereafter, but to understand that maybe we're in practice for whatever the hereafter is. And if there is nothing, did we make the most of whatever this one was? And yes, I think we did it then. And if that's all there is, then that's all there is. And I don't know that I would be disappointed with that. It is different than what people have been telling me my whole life, but so is a lot of other things that, you know, I had to say, I get that you say that, but that's just not for me. And, and maybe this is that as well. Yeah, I appreciate you being open uh, to answering those out there questions. Yeah, yeah. Like this. And the last, last question. What are three things about life you know for sure? I know that life is a series of events that help us understand who we are. I know that kind and loving wins out over grumpy and frustrated and aggravated and evil. I don't know there everything there is to know and that for the first time in my life, I'm okay with asking questions instead of getting answers. Right, 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 right. Great. Thank you so much, Jay, for this conversation. It has been spiritual, spiritually fun, how I call it. Thank you. Oh, I like that. Thank you. Yeah, it, it has been fun. Thank you for wonderful questions that um, just allow us to keep pushing the edges of what things are so that, um, that we someday figure it all out in whatever we need to figure out. Right. When we are ready, right? Um, where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services, and future projects? Um, we put everything on the website. So the name of my organization is the thefortefactor.com. So or the Forte Factor, but you can find us at www.thefortefactor.com. You can find me all over social media under J Forte F O R T E. Um, we are committed to keep sharing more and more information about the things that we think about. Um, things in the workplace, things about life, finding your fit, you know, focusing on joy, being the biggest version of you, all of these kind of things are things that we write a lot about and we share through all of the social media as well as on our website. That is wonderful. Um, thank you so much again. My pleasure. Thank you for, uh, for a great conversation. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now, Jay. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jay Forte, please visit his website, thefortefactor.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.